Shut up and sit down. everyone happy friday um i put a note last night in um the writer's table saying that i wouldn't do a podcast and i did that because i actually at the time thought it was friday um and i wasn't in the mood to do one and i was like and i woke up this morning and it was friday and i thought fuck why did i think i was going to do a podcast on thursday now sometimes i do do podcasts on thursdays but no one would expect me to tell you i wasn't right but i did think it was friday when um i put that in there and so yeah um yeah anyways i'm going to get started i have jilly on the line and I'm going to put her on the air because our first question um, comes from the group itself. Um, who, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm Lady Holder. I'm, I'm Lady Holder. Oh. I'm not Jilly. <laughs> Hello, Lady Holder. Hello, <laughs> How <honey>. are you? <laughs> I'm well. How about yourself? I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. <laughs> By the way, did you like my answer as to why you thought it was Friday? No, I, I missed it. What happened? What what'd you say? Because you work from home, okay? Oh, you don't yeah, have the yeah, five-day-a-week yeah. schedule that I do. There, There is that. And working from home does kind of put a – sometimes you don't know what day it is until you look at your phone. I mean, <laughs> you know, and I live, by, I live by a calendar and to-do list, and uh-huh. sometimes my days just blend together. And it doesn't help that I sleep mm-hmm. during the day. No, I'm I'm actually wondering if you're not a vampire. Shut up, human. <laughs> Go talk to you. You speak of things that you should not speak of. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah. Good luck on that one. <laughs> okay. Go back to doing what you were doing. Eating dinner. Enjoy your food. I am. It's stuff you. Hey, you don't like this. Okay. It's it's poutine, mashed potatoes, and cheddar cheese. Okay, then you enjoy that nastiness, and I'm gonna put you on hold. So I'll gotta listen to it. It's beef and gravy <laughs> and stuff. It's that's really all it is. I swear. And mashed potatoes okay. and cheddar cheese, and it's yummy. The cheese is what gets me. I love cheese, but cheese has no business in gravy. Well, that's fine. You don't have to put cheese on your on this thing. You can put bacon on it, like some people do. I could get behind bacon. I'm a meat eater. But I go know back that. to eating that. <laughs> I'm gonna put you on timeout for revealing my secret. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <sighs> it's so, not a secret. It's not a secret. <laughs> it's not a secret. I do actually function better at night. And um, for a long time, I tried to force myself to um, adhere to what people around me thought was a normal schedule. But it just made me miserable. So why would I do that? <laughs> right. Exactly. 
So, but um, one of the first questions that popped up um, is in the writer's table, and it's from a member of the group who wanted to talk about um, what to do when writing itself is stressful. So I thought you might have some um, thoughts on that um, in particular. Uh, although I, I did want to tell you that before the podcast started, I went and got me a snack. And as I was peeling my mandarins, I am forever reminded of your great your great loss. <laughs> it pops I reminded- my brain every single time I peel a mandarin. <clears throat> the mandarin seeds. Um, <laughs> um, you know, I got enough. I'm, I'm, I've, I've got like random snacks here. I tried not to get anything crunchy, but I got enough lunch for um, the, the dish I got for lunch is usually enough for lunch and dinner. And so that was my plan. That was my total meal plan for the day was with butter chicken for mm. um, for lunch and then the other half right before the podcast. I've had many a butter chicken in my life, um, and it's always mildly spicy. I've had it just even even slightly above. This, oh my God, it was so. It was like my brain melted. I, I couldn't. I couldn't bear it again. I mean, there was tears, and there was like you know, my nose was running, and it was. It was like <laughs> this is not supposed to be this hot. I was like, did they put a ghost pepper in here? Oh my God, it was terrible. So yeah, I heat with like some sour cream or something. I mean, I don't know. Maybe, but I, I just I just wasn't up to facing it twice. So you know, dinner wound up being um, completely inadequate. And so um, I, I don't I don't too much spice. I like spicy food, but I don't like it so spicy that my taste buds don't don't recover hours later. Um, I get you. I get just, you. That's just not pleasant. And so honestly, considering your nose issue, the fact that it was setting you on fire like that is astounding. Yeah, <laughs> and the thing is also because all I've got is taste, right? I don't have flavor. Right. So I only have taste buds. So if, if it's so spicy, it's blowing up my taste buds, it's like then it wrecks everything I'm going to eat. So it was like, uh, no. Mm. But and this this restaurant's really well rated it, but I and I didn't see any rec- mentions of like this you know this incredible spice level because butter chicken is not supposed to be that hot. No, I didn't think um, so either. I mean, I've had it before and it didn't seem that hot. I think General Tso's chicken is usually hotter than butter chicken. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, hell, usually the orange chicken at Panda Express is hotter than butter chicken. And it's uh, not very hot. Yeah. Not good for you. <laughs> but good. <laughs> that's a whole different that's a whole different um issue. So when the writing itself is stressful. Mm. Was this on the on the post you put up yesterday? Yeah. Was yeah. there any more was there any more context to that? Cuz there's lots of different kinds of um, things that can make writing stressful. Let me get the question because I, um, I, I meandered away. I meandered away from. Um, the There's thing. nothing wrong oh, with a good meander. Okay. It says, "Have you ever experienced times when writing is more stressful than fun? Do you have any tips for overcoming this problem?" Um. Hmm. So yes. 
Um, usually it involves me. There's a few, well, actually there's a few different ways that writing has been stressful for me. Um, writing on something I don't want to write on, I'm not enjoying writing on, um, that I'm forcing myself to work on either due to a deadline or um, whether self-imposed or not. Self-imposed deadlines can actually be harder to deal with than, than deadlines that you that are given by someone else. Um, or um, so just for, for whatever reason that I'm not enjoying what I'm writing, that, that can make the writing unfun. It can make it stressful, especially if I feel like I have to do it. Um, I don't mind writing on a deadline if I'm enjoying it. So it's not the deadline that's the problem, but not enjoying what I'm writing on, especially if I feel like I have to, that is particularly, that's a particular blend of unpleasantness that I have, a, it's difficult to deal with for me. Um, but there, are, so maybe we could just talk about that one first. There are other circumstances I've done where I thought the writing, where the writing didn't become fun. Um, For me, when writing is emotionally stressful, um, it can create a situation where I don't want to write. If I've gone somewhere in my narrative that makes me uncomfortable and I really didn't know it was going to make me uncomfortable until I was already there, um, it can um, it can throw you off your stride. Um, or, yeah, okay, lady holder, you, you, you got a point. She says the end of small magic, because small magic is basically done, with the exception, of course, for the Battle of the Five Armies. Um, and I always hesitate going into writing an action scene, um, because I, I think I suck at it, and I find it stressful. And so um, that will throw me off my stride as well. Um, because I pride myself on um, having a pretty tight narrative, and but it seems to me when I write action, it feels jerky and... Um, there's no grace for me in my action writing. And, um, and it could, and this is actually just a, um, we all have like this um, hot spot in our writing that um, we're uncomfortable with. And it could be that uh, this is just my self perception and some of these things that I think that I see that you aren't seeing. Some people have a difficult time writing sex scenes for the same reason. They don't feel comfortable. They, they hesitate over the actions and the wording and, um, you know, so it's, it can be a very emotionally stressful situation that you can get into. <clears throat> yeah. I no matter what kind of writing and, it is. I, I think, and, and, if, and whatever the, the solution, the tip for doing it all depends upon where the stress is coming from, what's making it stressful, because sometimes the solution to the unfun writing is to stop doing what you're doing. But sometimes it's more of a – sometimes that's not the solution. Sometimes it's to figure out how to get past the problem you're having. Um, I don't like – I'm like you. I don't like writing action scenes. And for me, I with action, I tend to micro-edit myself while I'm writing action scenes, um, which is part of the lack of flow thing is because, like, I'll get, like, you know – two paragraphs down and realize that it would flow better if I'd done it a different way or come into this, this one action point slightly differently. And then I go back and fix it. And then I have to edit everything in line in order to get it to be consistent. And it's, I don't do that normally. I don't like micro edit what I'm doing. Um, 
ride back up a couple paragraphs and restructure it back up a couple paragraphs and do it over and over and over again. So by the time I get to the end of the scene, even if I think the scene came out pretty well, it felt laborious in a way. I and don't, awkward. No. Yeah. And I don't like it. Um, sometimes I, I, I don't want to write sex scenes and it's because, um, it took me a while to actually figure out what it was lately about writing sex scenes that um, wasn't working for me. And I think it's because I feel like I've written so many sex scenes at this point that whereas the stories are in their way, all feel kind of, even if there's some repeated elements, and I'm always exploring something new in stories, but a lot of times sex scenes to me have started to become, just like I've done this before, it feels derivative. Um, and generic. And, yeah, and there's just, there's only so many. There's only so many ways you can do something different when you're writing a sex scene before you start becoming improbable or impossible. Um, and so, I had that problem. I, I don't think all it's a matter. Authors encounter it. Yeah, probably. And I don't think it's a matter of the readers getting burned out of it. I'm just tired of writing the same thing. And I don't think I necessarily. And it's not like I'm like plagiarizing my own sex scenes. But you guys, not that you can plagiarize yourself, but I'm not like copying my own sex scenes. But still, there's just so many positions you can put people in. There's only so many sex acts. Um, there's only so many orders. You so many different you know order and rhythm you can put the sex in that's even remotely interesting. Um, so it just starts to feel like been there, done that, and so it feels. Um, there's all this, and so sometimes I, when I'm approaching a sex scene, it's sort of like there's all this stuff that is new that I haven't done before, and here I am, I'm going to write a sex scene that feels very familiar. Um, and that can feel well, a lot I can actually stall out on that. For sometimes, I'll stall out on a story for days over a sex scene, so I just don't want to do it. What I would say about that is um, one of the ways that I overcame this is that I stopped focusing on the sex act itself. A couple of years ago, I said that I really don't give a shit what gender my characters are until it's time to insert tab A into um, slot B. Um, and I'm trying to figure out what slot B is uh, because I don't. I don't care. It's not about the physicality of sex anymore for me when it comes to sex scenes. It's about the emotional connection I'm creating with my characters. Um, I think that if you focus on that when it comes to writing sex, and moving away from the mechanics and the positions, which can feel very generic and the same over and over and over again, because humans tend to fuck the same way over and over and over again. That's monotonous. But if you focus instead on um, the emotional content of your characters and, and what they're getting out of it, instead of the mechanics, that it, um, it flowed easier for me. And that's when I think that my sex scenes really matured as a writer, when I stopped focusing on, okay, so they did doggy sex, doggy style sex in chapter two, so they need to do this in chapter eight, because um, they don't need to be doing the same position twice. Well, no, that's ridiculous. <laughs> I don't need to keep track of my character's sexual position. <laughs> <laughs> what if they really just like a of. position? You know? <laughs> right, right. So if you focus more on the emotional content of your of your sex scenes and less on the um the physical mechanics, it might be less stressful. Because that's what helps me because I've been writing erotica for a very long time and 
it got to the point where it was like putting two dolls together. <laughs> I was like, okay, playing Barbies or something. It was ridiculous. It was like this mental thing in my head. And so I kind of divorced myself from the physical details. Obviously, if you read my sex scenes, you see the physical details are still there. But it's really, for me, almost no different than having my character walk across the room. (laughs) When it comes to the physical part of sex. But focusing on the emotional content um, as a romance writer um, really helped me with my erotica. And I think that, honestly, that my sex scene scene work is probably my strongest um, character interaction work. I feel like I do it um, do it really well, but I spent a lot of time working on it. I think I've always done well with the emotional side of the sex scenes, and that's never the part that I have a problem with. But I do think I probably right. over-focus on the physical mechanics. Um, and if I just kind of um, let those scenes be a little shorter, probably, it probably doesn't need as much detail as I put in. That probably would make it less less of a chore. Less of a chore. Yeah, it is. Sometimes it is stressful because, I mean, I think that some people be horrified to find out how many stories are stalled out on sex scenes. It's like I write to the sex and then I move on to a different project. (laughs) (laughs) You really probably don't want to know. I could go and write a sex scene for you if you give me a little credit. Like sex provided by (laughs) Kira. <laughs> I, and the thing is, I've I've written sex scenes for other people who didn't want to write sex scenes, you know. So I did that quite a few times um, in X with X Files. I would write. There were like two or three authors where I wrote their sex scenes always because they couldn't stand it. But I think the last time I felt like a sex scene came out like, and, and the thing is, I didn't plan the sex scene. It just sort of like was very organic. That was very different. Was the sex scene stick around? Um, and I didn't stress about that one at all. It was like I got an idea for it before I started writing it, and it was um, probably the most one of the most graphic sex scenes I've ever written too. But that wasn't why it was easier. It was just it was a very different vibe than I've ever written um, in a sex scene before. So, um, and I wasn't seeking that out. I wasn't like trying to plan what can I do differently. It's just I thought the dynamic, that's the way it, it just kind of came to me. And it like, oh, I've never done this before. And and all of a sudden I think that the novelty of it made it easier to write, but usually I'm just sitting there kind of drumming my fingers going, huh. <laughs> I'm so bored with <laughs> <But> yeah. myself. <laughs> yeah, sex is um, boring to write. Um, and, I, but, and boring can be stressful because you're like, if I could just get past this then I would be done. And why the fuck can't I get past this? And you know, and just it just you get angry at yourself, and that can be very stressful. One of the more stressful things that I encountered as a professional writer was writing on spec. Um, and I've said it before: once somebody gives you money and then gives you a deadline, that creates the kind of financial um, legal stress in your mind that is unbelievable. Because you go from, okay, I have to have this due, but this is due this date, to, okay, if I don't produce this material on this date and have it in New York on this person's desk by this date, I'm going to get sued. I'm going to be in breach of my contract. My agent's going to fire me. <laughs> I'll never get published again. And you just go into this spiral, right? Um 
so yeah, it can be uh, it can be very stressful. And I think that um, if I'd known going into it that that would be stressful for me, that I never would have done it. And I don't do it. I don't do it now as a result because I think that it would have probably given me a heart condition because I was just. And I'm not even kidding about that. I went just. It was the stress was unbelievable. My hair started coming out. Um, I was like one big acne ball because when I get really stressed, my skin acts up. And it was just speaking of skin. If any of you have psoriasis and you have an over-the-counter thing to help with psoriasis in the ears, would you fucking please send me an email and help me out, help this bitch out? Because um, I tried a prescription and it didn't work. And I am my ears. I'm 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 full Picasso over here. So <laughs> I could use some help. <laughs> I've also tried vitamin E, so if that's your vitamin E oil, so if that's your solution, that ain't going to work either. Just FYI. Anyways, continue. Um, but, yeah, writing on spec. If you think that you have a problem writing on deadlines, don't ever write on spec. Um, it'll make you miserable. Caveat creative writing. Um, I've had to do turn in. It is very different when it's creative than here, go write this document this piece of software and write a manual for it. Completely different thing. Yeah, because you have the data and all you have to do is put it together. That's a little, that's a little different, right? Right, right. It is, it is different. Um, I think the last time I wrote something that just drove me bonkers, bonkers was, and this is, this is, this is part of the reason why I um, don't really do reverse bangs anymore. Um, I claim the art for a reverse bang when you're, and the thing is me finding a piece of art pretty or inspirational is not the actually the same thing as coming up with an idea because I can have like vague ideas I can execute to a vague, vague ideas that I haven't fully fleshed out based upon an image. Um, it's not the same thing actually as go, crossing the finish line with an idea that is based on an image. And there was, I would say Inevitably, I, I, when I've done a reverse thing, I've claimed the art and gone, oh, what was I thinking? <laughs> this is actually not doing it for me now. Um, or I couldn't come up with anything concrete, right? It's like the fact that I found it pretty and inspirational. Um, I, will say, I will say there was there, this year's NCIS reverse thing. There was one piece of art that I had a fully fleshed out idea like almost immediately the minute I saw it. And it was the year I didn't sign up. <laughs> oh. so I was like, well, oh well. Um, because the thing is, the last times I've done it, it's like I'm always writing until the last minute because it. I have so many false starts trying to get somewhere. And that to me is, is it's that part of the process is unfun. Once I get the idea and I get going, it's fun again. But the trying to come up with an idea that fits an image and it's not coming together quickly or easily, which it usually doesn't for me because I'm not really a visual writer that way. Um, I do better with word prompts or sentence prompts than I do with visual prompts. Um, every once in a while I get an idea that's just like, oh, yeah, that works with that. But um, you, I'm not really visual in that way. So um, it, 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 it wasn't fun. It, the, the, all the false starts and the stories that didn't go anywhere and the ideas and the banging my head against the wall. And I always liked the stories I came up with eventually. That was never the issue because I, I wouldn't have been able to half-ass a, um, a story. Um, 
but yeah, it just that that's really difficult, and that's so that is unfun. Um, and in that case, and so the, I think the person was specifically asking, like, what would you do? Like in that particular case, when it's just the idea is not coming together, um, I have to talk with other people, work on some brainstorming, um, until I find an idea that, that is gelling in my head. Um, Um, one of the things I would say about relieving stress um, is that uh, it depends on the situation. If you're in a situation where you have taken money from somebody and you're on a deadline, you need to power through because you don't want to get sued. Yeah. And you also don't want to um, create a situation where you're known in the industry as unreliable. And that's what will happen. And it will, it will, damage your career as a writer if you are not financially obligated to create to to finish this project give yourself permission to take a break Mm -hmm. and you need to give yourself permission to do this so that when you take your break you don't feel guilty for not doing what you're thinking you should be doing and then therefore compounding the stress Designated day, this is my day off. I am not going to look at it. I'm not going to think about it. I'm not going to write about it. And I'm not going to feel guilty about it. And then do it. After you've had your break, go back to it and look at it as objectively as you can to see what about the writing experience that you're having is making you uncomfortable. Your stress, your mental and emotional stress comes from discomfort. It's discomfort maybe with the concept, with you maybe you got um, something going on in your plot that you didn't anticipate, or you've got a ripple that you can't quite put your finger on. At this point, it might be a good idea to deploy a alpha reader who can look at your project objectively and say, okay, um, this, this, or this could be your issue. How do you feel about this? Um, have you th- Have you thought about what it means to say – have Tony die and ascend and there's no body or and I'm not picking on you. That just popped into my head. <laughs> <laughs> well, you kind of alpha my idea. It was good. <laughs> not on purpose though. I wasn't picking on her on purpose at the time. It was just, it popped out. Um, but uh, so that you can look at it objectively and see what about the project is stressing you out. And if the project itself is stressing you out, then you have my permission to set it aside and never work on it again. (laughs) Or just take a, sometimes you just need a protracted break from something. Sometimes you're working on something angsty and you're not in the right headspace to work on that. Or, you know, there's, there's reasons why whatever you're writing is not, um, jelly working for you. Um, in July, no, November, in November, um, I cut a big chunk out of something, stuff I had written. It's not like I'd changed my mind about what I was doing. I had written a lot more of that scene where there's the torture than ever made it onto the website. But it was making me so miserable that I had to cut out the part that I, once I crossed the line where I just couldn't, I, I found the point where it got too uncomfortable for me, 
and was making me just massively unhappy. And I just cut all the rest, cut it all out, and just skipped to the next scene, and then had his reaction to it. Because I'm just never going to be comfortable with that kind of writing. Um, and it was honestly a little bit silly for me to think that I would be okay with that scene because I know me. I know I don't like reading torture, and I know I don't like writing torture. So why I thought that I wanted a torture scene in the story, I don't know. But um, it followed. It was logical. Yeah, it did. It was a logical it it consequence did. of the circumstances. Um, yes. It was a which is why it really was there. defined and easily defended ripple. I mean, it it was yeah. I don't, that's why you went there on the plot stage because it yeah. made sense. It's because it made sense. Yeah. But in the execution, I just couldn't deal with it, and it was making me completely miserable. Um, in a story I was really enjoying, and I wasn't. And that's not too far into it. That's like chapter two or chapter three. So I'm not too far into it at that point. But I really had been. I've been working on that concept for like a year, and um, I really was into the plot and. Um, I, I almost stalled myself out at the beginning, and that was just I was like, and normally in rough draft writing when I'm doing rough trade, I just post whatever it is and deal with the consequences. But in that case, I had to I had to back it up just because, um, for my it was like for my own sanity, I had to cut that out of the story before anybody else ever saw it. And that was a healthy choice for you to make. Yeah, it, it, that's what I had to do. I, I mean, I had to because I've gotten it. I've been in that situation where I've pushed through angsty writing that's making me uncomfortable before, and I get to the point that I hate the story I'm working on. I, I start to hate the story um, in, in its entirety because I'm so miserable at what I'm what I'm doing with it. Because I actually have many, 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 many times pushed through on something on a project that I wasn't. Because I can, I, I, I mean, I know how. I have the skill to push myself through, and and get something done. But um, there's times when you want to deploy the 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 bolt, that stubborn bullheadedness where you push through and you get get it finished. And there's times when it's better to back off. Um, like I mean, I've talked to writers who will tell me that I'm not writing on anything else. I'm not. I'm not working on any other story until I get this story done. Until this story is done. Now, if that story was going well for them, it would have been done already. They wouldn't be having to make resolutions about it. So they're. I see that, and I think to myself, "Why are you torturing yourself?" Yeah, exactly. Um, and that's what they. And that's what it is. It's like this. If this story was something that was flowing well for them, or was making them happy, or whatever, it they wouldn't be needing to make deep, deeply profound resolutions that they're not going to do anything else until this is done. Um, now I've done that with editing. Like I'm like, okay, I I am not starting another project until I get something edited. But editing is a really different headspace. It's not the same thing as cutting myself off the knees. And saying I'm not going to write. And what what often happens with people that I talk to who take that stance is six months later they've written nothing. And they're sticking by their I'm not going to work on anything else until this is done, but then they wind up writing nothing. Um, now, that's not everybody. Some people do get their project done, so, you know, good good if that helps you. But 
more often than not, I see it backfiring. And it's like they can't back off of their stance. They're not going to do anything else. And then the, the, their writing just vanishes. Well, that's a case of um, their writing was stressing them out, and ultimately they just had to move away from the stress, which is the same thing to do, except the you adding stress on by giving yourself a resolution that you're going to only work on the thing that's stressing you out. It's just crazy cakes. Don't do it. <laughs> and, and honestly, it's terribly unkind to yourself. And um, be kind to you because torturing yourself over something that you're supposed to enjoy is just bad. It's just not a good idea. And it really, it, it brings you to a place where you're destroying part of you um, that should be your happy place. It really should. And that kind of destruction is really counterproductive. And, you know, if you're someone who can't thrive in a deadline, don't put yourself in a deadline situation. If you're someone who freaks the fuck out, stresses out over the idea of, of participating in rough trade, don't. Rough trade's supposed to be fun, but if you're not having fun, I don't want you there. I don't want you torturing yourself. You're still welcome in our space. You can still sit down at our table and you can still ask questions and you can still participate in our groups and our writing groups and on our podcasts and on our chat rooms. But don't torture yourself by trying to participate in rough trade if it makes you miserable. It's just not... That's not the activity that I want to encourage in you. <laughs> yeah, I agree. And honestly, <laughs> that's a really kind of unhealthy masochism. Go go get your ass smacked like a normal person. <laughs> that's right. <clears throat> get your, get, go get you a fun spanking. Um. But there is also, um, I think that there's a difference between having some discipline in your craft and torturing yourself with it. And sometimes I I think people don't understand the difference between the two. So it's like I've seen writers who sort of fizzle out of writing entirely because they've really lost interest in the fandom they're in. And they feel like they've got these works that they've got in progress and they, they don't really want to keep writing in the fandom and they want to move on, but they also feel like they've got like, I don't know, some sort of, it's like some sort of inappropriate guilt thing going on. It's like they're abandoning their fans or something. I don't know. I don't really fully understand the mentality around not picking up another fandom when you're ready for it or writing original work if you're ready for it, but whatever. I see people get into this cycle and they kind of will just fizzle out on writing because, you know, they really want to be working on something else. Um, to me, that's kind of torturing yourself with your with your craft. It's it's trying too hard to stick with it. Um, versus, whereas the undisciplined approach, which is where this is like the f- complete opposite, is the person who has you know puts out a new chapter. Every fandom, I don't I don't care how many fandoms somebody has, but they've got like um, thirty stories of one or two chapters, and they're moving on to a new fandom. To me, that's undisciplined. This person cannot stick with an idea for five seconds. And that's fine if um, 
if you're not posting it. I mean, to me, that's sort of like advertising that you're all over the place. It's when you're putting up a chapter, and then you put author notes of like, oh, I know I've got 30 works in progress already, but this idea just wouldn't let me go. And then they post one chapter of 2,000 words, and then that's all that's ever posted. Well, it clearly would let you go because it let you go immediately. <laughs> well, um, I think that boils down to attention. Uh, you know, there are some people who post works in progress because it keeps them motivated, and that's perfectly fine. Um, but I think that if you post your works in progress because you have an immediate need for um, gratification and feedback and you never finish any of your work, that you're an attention whore and you should be ashamed of yourself. <laughs> yeah. Bad, but it's bad also, girl. Bad. I think it is there's also like a lack of discipline there because you could get attention by finishing your story. Um, right. But but maybe there's no uh, maybe there's no idea beyond that first chapter. I don't know. It could be somebody who has no craft beyond one or two chapters. <clears throat> so I do think at some point, you know, you have to like I I knew there's an author I used to read back when I read Works in Progress. All of her stories were Works in Progress practically, not all, but almost all. I'm saying and this is like a hundred works, right? All like eighty five, ninety percent were Works in Progress, and the thing they all had in common was she got to the climax and stopped. She wrote through the climax. So to, to a degree, there's a level of satisfaction about it because she got to the climax before she sizzled into her next work. Well, what a, here, here's what I saw in that, you know, you know, armchair um, diagnosing her writing, is that she hadn't conquered falling action. And she didn't know how to end a story. And she'd get to that high point, that emotional high point, the climax of the story, and then fizzle, her interest would fizzle. Um, at some point, writers have to conquer the less interesting parts of the story. They have to deal with timelines. They have to deal with falling action. They have to deal with, um, you know, consistency. There's all there's lots of things that are time consuming that are not the fun parts of writing. That you, if you're going to write complete stories and you're going to be a writer, you have to conquer those aspects of it. Um, and if that's a source of stress, then you need to figure out why. Is it because it's hard for you to figure out? Is it because you've never, um, never, never done it? You you need somebody to help you. I mean, there's 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 ways to figure out if if it's the writing itself that's stressing you out, or that you need to spend some more time on skill skill building, or whatever it is. But at some point, that's where like there's an element of discipline that comes into it. Is you you gotta you gotta climb those mountains. You gotta get that stuff done eventually. Every author needs to be able to um, um, edit their own work. Maybe not. I don't necessarily mean you know learn grammar and punctuation. Although that's a good thing too. But every author needs to be able to go back and look at their work eventually and figure out what would improve it from their, you know, how, how to help realize their own vision for it, how to spot plot holes, how to, I mean, these are all skills that every writer has to build. So um, fandom especially is a, is a learning ground for some of these things and just not doing them um, is not really taking advantage of, of the sandbox that you have. So, um, but we said before that when we have these kinds of discussions, we're not talking to people who aren't interested in craft at all. 
So if you're somebody who just wants to write the idea as long as you're interested in it and you aren't interested in editing it and you're not interested in actually finishing it and you're not interested in um, figuring out consistency, you're not interested in the coherent timeline, we're actually not talking to you. Legit, this is not for you. <laughs> At least I'm not. <laughs> I no, have no giving no. you advice. Um, but um, – I just think it's important to uh, to as far as the stress goes is to figure out why you're stressed, what's stressing you out about the situation, um, what's causing you discomfort, which is creating stress. Um, and I would also say also that not all stress is bad, um, but if it's making you um, miserable or mm-hmm. it's causing you to to lose interest in the act of writing, then you've in, then you come across some kind of discomfort that you need to figure out and remove because mm-hmm. you don't want to destroy your creative outlet. It's what separates us from the animals. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes, you know, one thing that can make writing unfun is that you thought it was a good idea. Um, there's like I swear like the slogan of my life is going to be, it seemed like a good idea at the time. Um, <laughs> there are ideas you start down and it's like, this seems like, and it just is not, it's, it's nothing about it is what you thought it would be. Um, it's not like it's out of your control. It's like you, you know, it's not that. It's just like it's in your, sometimes in your head, ideas are better than they are on paper. Um and giving yourself permission to go, this is not a good idea, or this was not, this is not what I had in mind, um, and step away from it and set it down. It's okay. It, it also it's okay to set something down with no intention of ever going back to it. I know people really have a hard time with that. They have a really hard time with the idea of putting something down without the intention of finishing it. But um, I think that that's. I think it's really healthy to learn to let it go when it's not working. Also, and sometimes you let it go forever, and sometimes if you're posting your work in progress in fandom, there is a shame attached to abandoning a work. Um, which is one reason why I really advocate against not posting your works in progress because my readers will never know how many works I've abandoned. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a whole folder on my computer in the writing section of my computer full of abandoned works that no one will ever see. <laughs> but I don't even count in my works in progress numbers. These are just shit that I abandoned. And it's literally called shit that I've abandoned. <laughs> because it wasn't a good idea. Because it sucked. Because the ripples were terrible, and I really didn't pay attention. And I got a big giant plot hole the size of Jupiter in the middle of it, and I just can't be fucked to fix it. So it's in the shit that I've abandoned folder. <laughs> and it will stay there. Where some things belong. Because um, some things just aren't a good idea. It's like it seemed like a good idea until you started actually logically progressing through it and then you went well this is a really dumb idea (laughs) this is just stupid um what was i thinking yeah exactly what was i thinking (laughs) was i drunk 
No, that wasn't that. I haven't been drunk in a long time. Was I medicated? No, probably not that either. Was I sleep deprived? Yeah, that probably was it. <laughs> yeah, that was probably it. That's pretty much always it. <laughs> I must have been really tired when I thought this was a good idea. Um, but sometimes also something that seemed like it was a bad idea is actually great when you go back and revisit it. I mean, one of my, I think my more entertaining stories that I've written in the last few years was one I thought that I would never go back to, um, that I felt like I felt like the problems in it were insurmountable and it was making me miserable. And I put it down. Two years later, I went back and looked at it and went, why did I think this problem was insurmountable? There's nothing wrong with this. Um, so, I mean, there was a problem in the original plot, but it wasn't the insurmountable problem that I thought it was. And I probably only needed to give myself a couple months break by that, but I was just so frustrated when I put my put it on hold um, that I thought it was crap. And and that was that was um, React, which, like I said, it had a different working title for so long. I can never remember the title of that story which is the Teen Wolf story I posted for EAD last year, I think. Um, mm-hmm. And it was, it, was all, all, it was all around pairing was my problem. Is the pairing I had plotted didn't work, it, and it really didn't work. Uh, there's, there's no, no it doubt really didn't. it didn't work. <laughs> yeah, there's it no really doubt that the pairing work. didn't work. But the thing is, nothing I had written up to that point even hinted at the pairing. So it wasn't like I had to throw away or edit anything. I just had to change the pairing or write Jen or and the story itself as is is Jen. Um, I'm gonna put you on a hold. Um, I'm, I'm gonna put myself on hold for a second. So continue on without okay. me. Okay. okay. Um, I'm trying to. I'm not on my computer, which I normally am for the podcast. But my computer, I, I forgot to plug it in. And it was dead as a post when I went to go get it. Um, yeah. Um, anyway, so there's. I think that there's a lot of different ways that um, writing can become stressful or unfun. Um, for a while, I was finding writing to be... Um, it was after some bad shit went down. I was finding writing to be too emotional an experience for me based upon the type of writing I usually did. Uh, and what I, my solution to that ultimately was, well, actually I wrote some, but the first thing I wrote was some straight up porn. Um, but the, I, I wrote some fluffier stuff, which at that time from in the, with me for writing fluffy was not at all where I was with my writing. Um, and I wrote some like really just fluffy, sweet stuff for I want to say a month where there was like no angst, no, no. I mean, there, there wasn't even. There, I mean, if there was any angst, it was it was a smidgen for like a paragraph, and then it was done. It was fluffy stuff. It was animals. It was kids. It was whatever just made me happy and made me smile, and um, that got me over the hump to allow me to keep writing and a lot of that I never did anything with because it really wasn't my usual style it really didn't fit the fandom that I wrote in I was writing in a different fandom because at the time I was writing in X-Files and um Fluff and X-Files didn't really go hand in hand particularly for me I didn't think that they kind of I never really wrote that so um 
I, you know, I, I put it, I, in a, in a, it was my first experiment with other fandoms and doing some original stuff um, that I mostly just kept for myself because um, it was it was really it was really kind of like writing therapy for me um, to write all this fluffy stuff. Um, and sometimes that's what you just kind of have to give yourself a break from whatever it is that, that's making the writing hard for you. Um, there can be other times when writing is another reason why writing might be unfun is that there is too much going on in your life um, that the focus for for a lot of reasons sometimes when you're massively stressed out normally when I'm stressed out writing is kind of a release and it's good for me but there have been times when when writing is not at all what's going to help me handle my stress um, and if that's the case don't do it but there are other things you could do. You could plot. Um, sometimes when I am very, I think specifically very sad, like specifically around the death or something, um, I get very pedantic. And um, that's a really good time for me to work out detailed timelines for an idea or Maybe edit, but usually not. Usually, if I want to, I want something with more creative energy. I'll kind of work on an idea and like sit down and work on the timelines and do lots of research and kind of build, the, get the bones built for the, the next story I'm going to write. And if you're kind of in that state where you just don't want to kind of open yourself up emotionally to do writing, there are creative activities around writing you can do that aren't actually getting into the flow of writing, um, like research, like doing timelines, like plotting, like world building. Um, or you could just sit down and edit something. Um, you could do a rewrite. If there's a story, if you're having a hard time writing because you just don't want to kind of go there emotionally, you could try, um, if there's a story of yours you've always wanted to give a rewrite, you could sit down and do a rewrite. Which is, rewriting is a lot like a massive edit with a little bit of writing thrown in. So I find rewrite. It can also be, very, be very satisfying to rewrite. Yeah, I agree. Especially okay, if you're so taking it the direction you've always wanted to go. Right. Even if you never show it to anybody else, it's just if it's just for you. I think that's honestly sometimes the most satisfying writing that I've done when I write just for me. Um, and I do tend to write just for me these days, but. <laughs> um, when I wrote the bulk of Ties That Bind, I never had any intention of posting it. Um, and I think it can tell in the work because it's just for my own enjoyment. Um, and so, yeah. But when I opened it up for like the 30th time to read it, I thought, well, maybe my readers might like to read this too. <laughs> very different than anything that I had posted at the time. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I mean, you've written some more BDSM now, but it's still kind of, I think, is very unique in, on your site. Right. No, it is. It's um, It stands out as being quite unique. Uh, but, um, okay, our next topic is recognizing plot holes. Um, I think one of the biggest reasons people don't recognize plot holes is um, their depth of knowledge 
regarding their own world that they're building and creating and writing. Um, so you end up making assumptions about your reader's knowledge without even thinking about it. And you create, and sometimes it's just because you're not following your ripples. And I'm not saying you need to follow the ripple on every single decision that your character makes, but when you don't follow the ripples on big decisions, that's when you get plot holes. What happens if Ron and Harry skip the visit to Hermione before going to the Chamber of Secrets? And therefore, Harry doesn't get the note about there being a basilisk in the chamber. Well, that's a pretty big ripple. That's a really big ripple, and you got to follow it through because okay, if they don't visit Harry, if they if they don't visit Hermione, he doesn't get the note. But if Harry still ends up knowing that it's a basilisk before the snake even comes out, then you've created a plot hole. How the fuck did Harry figure that out? He's never read a book in his life. Well, that's not true. But he he is a lazy-ass student. So there's no way he would have known that was a basilisk in there without Hermione. What would have happened if they hadn't went and gotten Lockhart? Both Ron and Harry would have ended up in the chamber. Lockhart's presence um, going down to the chamber effectively separated Ron and Harry. If Lockhart's not there, if you don't have Lockhart teaching or he gets killed earlier in the year, what's going to separate Harry and Ron in the chamber? And if it doesn't and they both go through the wall, the door, do, do they both survive? Well, probably not. No, Actually, I think them both. I I think them both being there. Honestly, the ripple to me is that they would both die, because Harry would be trying so hard to save Ron, who's a fucking idiot, to get them both killed. I I agree. But, that's that could be where the Horcrux dies, and then Fox resurrects him. Yeah, that'd be interesting. Depends on how he dies. You know. Yeah, petrification. Is he petrified? Is he instant death? If, if he doesn't, if you know, reflect the reflected stare would not be as effective for killing the Horcrux. I don't think because he wouldn't really be dead. He'd be petrified, and he could still be. But these are all if he's petrified. This is true. Yeah, this is true. The fact that the snake didn't eat Jenny is always been a big thing for me. Why not? And how come she didn't get crushed with that snake flicking all over the um, chamber? I, I Well, yes. Yes. Well, probably <laughs> because I I think that pro- my well, like, well, even that doesn't make a lot of sense because Voldemort probably was keeping the snake away because he needed to drain her life force, not have it suddenly snuffed out. Um but the snake in its death throes isn't going to care about what Valdi wants. So, um, it seems unlikely that she would have come out of that completely uninjured, considering that that was a one-ton killing machine in that relatively small space. Yeah. 
That's a dragon. The Chinese dragon, right? Um, Looks like it. But, yeah, so I think that recognizing plot holes comes from event analysis and decision analysis. And we'll be doing event analysis and plot 101 um, later on when I finish building the unit um, and going through all the articles that I that I saved from the original um, uh, seminar that I attended. Um, but anyways, um, I actually, but, uh, I, I have... I have a slightly darker, probably slightly darker view on why I think a lot of people don't recognize. Not everybody, but I think a lot of people don't recognize their plot holes because it's inconvenient. They have an idea, they have an idea, and they don't want to find a problem with it. And that opinion comes from working with multiple people and recognizing plot holes and ignoring plot holes. Well, I think, yeah, but I think it's also that they don't want to actually know that they're there. Um, willful blindness? Yeah, I think it is willful. Because, I mean, this comes from working on working with more more than one occasion with authors where they've asked for help with spotting any plot holes, and you point out not even just the plot holes necessarily, but yes, plot holes, but also just things that don't make sense. It's a plot hole in as much as in so much as that the world doesn't work that way, but I wouldn't typically call it. It's not like it's a failing of them appreciating the ripple effect. It's like they just fail to appreciate that the world doesn't work that way. Um, um, and they don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear that their basic some something that's. And the thing is, I've had that happen. I've had it happen where something that the foundational part of my idea didn't work and I've had to figure out some other way to make the story happen um, and it, especially when it's a foundational part it's really, it can be difficult to make that change but do you want your story to be logically consistent and make sense or do you want to hold on to your idea and more often than not um, the especially the fandom writers I've worked with who had a lot of plot hole blindness they didn't want to actually fix the issue they didn't actually want to. Um, and actually, one of them told me that everything I pointed out to her about the idea, I, that she agreed that what, what I had to say about that the, the, the ripples didn't make sense, but that she was disinterested in the idea if it wasn't if it wasn't the plot hole, she wasn't interested in the idea, and therefore she was going to write it the way write it with the plot hole. <laughs> I'm like, I would never have like, alpha for her again. I won't. But I was like, your whole idea is a plot hole. So, um, and, and it, but it, and the thing is, there's different kinds of problems, right? There's different kinds of consistency problems. It's sort of like you say to somebody, you know, the character, what you're implying, do you mean to imply this character is this way by this plot choice? I'm like, no, I don't mean to imply that. I was like, well, okay, but that's what it's doing. You're you're implying your character is cowardly or they're abusive or um, that they're um, a cavalier with other people's safety or whatever it is. This is what you're implying with, with what you've done with your plot choice with this with this character. And you, this, this, this is the way it reads. And you're saying you don't intend that. And they'll be stuck on it, like they'll want to keep it even though it says really awful things about their character because they really like the line. Um, I kid you not, 
like your character is coming across as being an insensitive jackass and you don't want to change it because you really want to keep that bit of dialogue that way. All right. <laughs> so people come become can become very attached to their own, their, own, words. their own words and their own the ideas they come up with and then and they just don't want to deal with any changing. And I will as an example of this, there is a I am um, I don't remember what when this was. Uh, I think it was. I think the podcast was big fucking plot. I think um, where I had a. I had a. So as an example, someone wants to hear about hearing an idea kind of get torn down and picked and put back together again. There were problems with my concept in this plot that Kira and I worked on in that in that episode. I think that's one. Um, we basically restructured the whole idea to get to fix to get rid of um what amounted to a plot hole is that the one with the sentinel in star trek no it was um with it was when the 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 the, um (laughs) the shepherd brothers on atlantis with a dna lock on the city okay okay and i had a very specific very specific scene idea that inspired it and that particular scene wouldn't have worked it didn't make any kind of logical sense so um and we uncovered that on during the podcast and we um and like i said i think that was big fucking plot was which was was the name of that podcast but i could be completely wrong um Although Big Fucking Plot might have been the Star Trek one. I don't remember. So, But anyway, we did have that whole thing of like pulling pulling it apart, putting it back together. Um, and, and I think if you're not willing to do that kind of work with your idea about sitting down, looking at the ripple effects of major plot choices, would the, would, is it realistic for a character um, who's been in this kind of situation to do this kind of thing? Um, if you're not willing to look, sit down and look at those kinds of decisions because you're very attached to your idea, your problem is not that you can't spot plot holes. The problem is you're going in too attached to your concept. And I get it. Sometimes and, I'm very attached to my concepts, but they suck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I, it's not easy. I'm not saying it's easy. It, it's an easy thing to get around, but... You, it, it helps to figure out if you're just having a hard time seeing the consequences, the ripple effect. True, truly, that's what you're having a hard time seeing, or if you just don't want to deal with what the outcome would be of doing that analysis. And that is the that is the third possible thing: is people don't want to actually sit down and do the work. You know, are you incapable? Of, are you having a hard time seeing it? Is it not a skill you've skill you've built, or do you not want to put the time into figuring it out? But I do think most plot holes come from failure to follow logical consequences. Yeah. And I, you know, I'm actually pretty good at seeing that. And I'm not sure if that's a skill that I built through experience or just a quirk of my OCD. Maybe both? I don't know. Maybe, maybe. I feel like I spent a lot of time in my life saying to people, well, that's not logical. It has nothing to do with writing. Um, I 
So, I mean, it, it, it is something, it, but it is a practice. It is something you practice doing. Um, Kira tends, I would say Kira sees it, tends to see it in advance more than I do. I, I feel, I see a lot of problems in advance, but it, it happens like every second or third story that I trip headlong into it as I'm starting to write it. I'm like, well, that may all made sense on paper, but it is not making any sense in practice. <laughs> um, but I do see it. I will say I do see it when I'm tripping into it. I don't tend to like right way past it and then see that I had a problem. That's extremely rare that there was a big plot hole and I, um, and I didn't spot it till after this, after the fact. So, and that's really it's annoying when that happens. And I've had it happen to me. I've I've stumbled and um more when I was younger than than now. I see it in my older work and I'm like, "Oh god, why did I do that?" <laughs> what the fuck was I thinking? <laughs> that's so dumb. <laughs> but it happens. It happens to the best of us. Uh someone asked earlier what to do um what happens? Um, she got berated for rage quitting a fandom. I rage quit Hawaii Five O um, for a very long time. Uh, I'm still kind of mad, <laughs> and I rage quit the Sentinel because of the fandom um, for a long time. And um, I'll probably never write strictly Sentinel again. Um, it would it would take something. And I have several ideas that we'll never see the light of day because of it. Um, but you said that your friend berated you for rage quitting the MCU. Um, what I would say to your friend is kiss my ass. Um, because here's the thing. Here is the, here's the bare bones about it. Fandom is supposed to make you happy. And if the MCU isn't making you happy, MCU isn't making you happy, then fuck them. You rage quit that shit, find a new one, move on, be happy with yourself. And anybody who wants to force you into a fandom experience that you don't want to have, they're an asshole. And they can kiss my ass. Yeah. They're not worth your time. They are taking up space in your in your life and in your head that's that is negative and it is and you don't have time for that kind of negativity. It's just rude. It's just it's it's unacceptable. Yeah, nobody. Should, I mean, I don't think people could have an opinion about. Um, I, I really don't think people get an opinion about about what what fandoms you are into or write in or whatever. I mean, it's supposed to be fun. And if, and if people do think they get an opinion about it, they get think they get an opinion about um, um, Kira writing in a new fandom or, um, or whatever, um, you know, but they, they don't. They don't get an opinion about what she chooses to write. They don't get an opinion about what, um, how many fandoms she wants. She wants to write in six different fandoms at once. Too bad if she decides to put to put out a, um, 
a firefly story they don't get it they don't get to express their they don't really get into of course, they can have an opinion. They don't really get to express it to her that they're disappointed that she's not writing Stargate because it's none of their fucking business. Suck it. Suck it. I'm. I just. I. Um. I meander through fandoms, and there are some fandoms that I don't read. You don't see me berating Lady Holder for for digging in on King Arthur, right? I never even watched that movie, and she's she's whole hog into it. Do I bitch at her? No. And I have no it's desire to <laughs> bitch at her or watch the movie. Um, <laughs> I'm sure it's a good movie. It's just not something that I, I kind of burned myself out on that whole King Arthur thing a long time ago. And I'm just not, I'm not there. I it's never even watched jam. Merlin. It's just not my Yeah, thing. I didn't ever watch Merlin either. And block her. If somebody is sending you shit that you don't want to read, Filter their emails into your into your trash and block her on social media. Cause fuck that shit. Fuck it. You wouldn't let somebody abuse you in real life, right? You wouldn't let somebody show up on your front porch and drop dog shit there, right? Without calling the cops. Cause I would call the cops. Exercise her from your life. <laughs> Now, um, I will say that um, it came up. It came up recently that somebody was upset about um, an author who had made promises um, to never abandon a story that they then abandoned. Um, here's what I would say about getting mad about something like that: you should never believe something like that. So if your crushing disappointment is why you're angry because the author abandoned the story they promised they would never abandon, um, you really only have yourself to blame, and I'm not terribly sympathetic because you should never believe those kinds of promises, ever. Nobody can promise that kind of thing, nor should they, because what if their life circumstances dramatically change? What if they're injured and can no longer write? Would that make it okay to you? Is that any more that more or less valid than they just don't want to write that story anymore because it's making them miserable? Is it? I mean, what if? I mean, I've, I know authors who have stalled. We've talked, you know, stalled out on a story, stalled out on writing because they were trying to finish a story they promised that they wouldn't abandon. It authors a don't make crazy promises like that. B if you're a reader, don't buy into crazy promises like that because no one and can also, make assurances about the future. This is also another argument against posting works in progress. <laughs> Your readers won't yeah, be disappointed if they never see it. <laughs> yeah, but people do think you owe some sort of weird loyalty to fandoms. I think that this has become, um, to people who who are pretty much strictly involved in fandom through an archive like AO3 or fanfiction.net or something, it's a little bit less of an issue than people who are involved in some kind of fandom community, like on Tumblr or um, even on LiveJournal or DreamWith or whatever other communities, wherever the communities may live, um, the people can get very intense in that kind of – it kind of creates a mob mentality where people start thinking they have the right to tell you what to write. Sentinel Fandom had this. 
um, what kind of tropes you can use, what kind of characterizations you can explore, whether or not you're allowed to work on other fandoms. Do you need a separate – I mean, I, I've even saw the advice of somebody who have a different fan name for different different um, fandom, di- different fan name, different pen name for different fandom to avoid upsetting their readers. Fuck that shit. I mean, come come on. And and that's the kind of thing that happens when you wind up in um, these sort of isolated groups that don't have any kind of sanity checks on them. They're not getting any kind of – and that, that really does happen with these kind of insular fandom groups is there's nobody giving them any kind of perspective, and they come up with whacked-out crazy shit. Um. Like the idea that readers are currency. Yes. And that kind of thing isn't happening just because they're posting on AO3. It's happening because of the groups they're involved in that are telling them this kind of stuff. And they're they're repeating these things that they see. And I was thinking, if you're going to repeat something, you need to have kind of a, a profound understanding of it yourself. So that if somebody ever challenges you, you've got your own opinions about it. You're not just parroting somebody else's opinion. Um, no, but nobody else, nobody gets, the, the, the reality is, is that nobody gets an opinion about what you're going to write, unless you're under contract and then they're, and they're your publisher. Um, but, in fandom, nobody gets an opinion about what fandom you're going to explore, what tropes you're going to explore. They don't get an opinion. It's none of their business. They can express their opinion, but they don't actually get an opinion unless you invite them to give it to you. And even then, you're not required to take their opinion as gospel. No. And that can be a problem that ha- if you're if you're in that kind of dynamic with someone who's like a beta reader or an alpha reader or just a you know does bunny bouncing with you, where they give you opinions and they expect you to take their opinion, that is an unhealthy relationship and you need to get out of it. I still get pissy about the use of the word spurk. Or spork. I'm I'm not digging spork or bones. Um, because here's the thing. Um, the whole reason that slash fiction is called slash fiction is because of the K slash S pairing. Kirk, Spock. Kirk slash Spock. It, they are the grandfather pairing of slash fiction. And calling them spork or spork makes me mad. <laughs> Don't do it. Don't do it. I'm not picking on you. I'm not picking on you. I promise in the chat room. It um, but uh, when OTPs um can be a very sensitive topic. Uh, so when you get into a fandom like Star Trek, where literally Kirk and Spock um are the um on the original OTP and they are the you know kind of the origin of slash fandom, um, you get uh people who are just completely outraged at the idea of someone violating their OTP. Um, and that can create situations where you get hate mail, which is ridiculous. If you don't want to read um, Kirk with bones or Spock with bones, don't fucking read it. But you don't got to be abusing the people who are writing it. 
yeah, really don't read it. But we see these kind of ship wars. I mean, they, they, we had to put a name for it, ship wars, um, which is ridiculous. All the time. Because people can't deal with it. They cannot deal with it. And sometimes it's not like um, this ship against that ship. It's like anybody who isn't um, like the Tony Ziva shippers and, uh, over on, on fanfiction.net, which is primarily where they live. They aren't as loud and boisterous over on AO3. Um, they basically went around for years abusing any story that wasn't Tony Ziva. Um, possibly the most hated um, pairing ever to land, uh, you know, as a main pairing, as a, as, a, as a canon pairing, probably the most hated it ever to land in fandom. Um, they went around just abusing, and these are the nut jobs that were threatening, like, the showrunner and sending threats to their families, um, because... And, and so it, this is not this is not this is not any kind of a healthy expre- expression of an interest in the fandom is this kind of behavior. Um, and sometimes it's not even a pairing that people get wrapped around the axle over it's a character. You saw that behavior in Teen Wolf. Um, anybody who didn't like Scott um, could be the target of abuse by the people who were big Scott fans. And it's just, that's just, these people don't have enough to do. It's all I can move. They need better hobbies. Play more video games, something, go for a walk. Do something besides get that wrapped around the axle over other people's reading and writing habits. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um Yeah, and giving somebody crap because they're not writing an incest pairing is just you've been immersed kind of in behavior too much. You need to go you outside need to get and out. a deep breath. Because seriously, seriously, what the fuck's wrong with you? Everything, everything is wrong with you. <laughs> Ew. That's terrible behavior. Okay, I'm just... I don't actually think about what happens in fandom needs to only and needs to stay in fandom. Okay, I think people should be able to be forthright about what they read and enjoy. But do not foist your fandom on the actors who play the characters that you enjoy. You need to learn to separate the actor from the character. They are not the same. Well, well, he said he said he liked it. Doesn't mean he actually liked it. He just I remember like that time nice that the actor that played Blair um, let it known in fandom that sometimes he would like to talk. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's pointed, isn't it? And it shows us some <laughs> remarkable insight. <laughs> Just let you bitches know, I would occasionally like to talk. <laughs> or maybe that Blair would. I don't know. <laughs> well, 
Yeah, I, 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 I will say there's I think OTPs should be treated like Fight Club, and we don't talk about Fight Club. It's just not a good idea. Yeah, just... I don't really have many OTPs. Every once in a while, I stumble into one where I'm like, I can't just see them with anybody else. It, it doesn't happen very often, often though. Um, McKay and Shepard. I think that was my problem. And I always wanted to write a threesome. Um, but I think that my problem um, in Nano was because I violated my own OTP. I always thought I wanted to stick Miko in the middle of that, but apparently I really didn't. (laughs) (laughs) Hmm. I I think I did okay with it, but I just, yeah, I didn't enjoy it. Um, with, with, with a pairing that surprises me as being an OTP, I could do like a one-off threesome, but not like a full-time threesome. It would, it would throw me like, you know, they take somebody home for a weekend. That'd be fine. Um, yeah, I mean, it, OTPs, uh, it just, I can't remember the lot. There was one I thought, like, I was surprised that, I was like, okay, I think I stumbled onto an OTP. I can't read this. I can't read this other pairing. Um, I don't remember what it was. It doesn't, it happens, it just doesn't happen to me very often. So, um, but I I respect I do respect other people have this OTP I call it an issue they have this issue, <laughs> um, and my issues my issues with with John Shepard and Tony has nothing to do with an OTP folks nothing it's just this, the everything incest to do thing. with pseudo incest <laughs> yes um, and again it comes and also because of the whole brother angle once I once I head to myself with that. My ability to tolerate Rodney Tony went away because it was like, Tony, why are you fucking your brother's dude? I don't, I don't get it. <laughs> You're gonna break John's heart. What's wrong with you? <laughs> but now I can read Rodney with other people. I, I, I've read some Rodney Ronan stories. I thought were pretty good. I think I, I want to say it was Rodney Mitchell. I, nothing particularly jumped out of it. But I mean, I didn't hate it. I didn't like, you know. Um, I didn't nope out of it. Um, but Rodney Tony, no. Yes, I have no TPs too. Where it's like no fucking way will I read that. Like you know, and most of my no TPs are actually the incest pairings. You know, Dean Sam, um, Charlie, um, Don, um, those two brothers. I would actually prefer break. that Snape never get laid again. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Although I did write him in a background pairing with Sirius, um, it, it was just for my own amusement because that the idea of that just amuses the shit out of me. But um, and it was amusing. And but honestly, any Snape pairing involving. Um, Harry, Hermione, anybody in that generation is a no TP for me. Nope. Come on now. How do you accidentally read Harry Albus? I don't believe you. Was it like a time travel crossover where Harry ended up back in Fantastic Beast times? Because if so, 
can we talk about Jude Law for a second? Because I, I, I feel like they fucked us over with the Jude Law. Massively. Thing. Because um, I'm very comfortable not liking Dumbledore as a character. Then they put that hot motherfucker in a suit. I, I just, in a beard. I can't even think about it. I can't even think I can't, about I can't, it. It's just... I won't watch it. I refuse to have that corrupting my headspace. Jude, Jude, what is wrong with you? <laughs> Why'd you do this to us? I'm glad you're getting paid, but come on, dude. <laughs> Why does it have to be? Why does it? The only way it could have possibly been worse if it had been Colin first corrupted our Mr. Darcy. <laughs> Don't even say things like that. Don't even. I'm just saying that was the only way it could have possibly been worse. <laughs> I actually hate Dumbledore more than more than Snape. Um, I don't. I don't hate them equally. So in no. Canon, I. I a lot of times I, I, I consider Snape the victim of both Dumbledore and Voldemort. And his mother. I actually but dislike Dumbledore, the animal. Dumbledore, I, I, lo- I dislike him more than Voldemort. Um, so, you know, there, there's like literally nobody except, well, Umbridge. There, there's, there, those my, that's my biggest hate on is for D- Umbridge and Dumbledore. The thing about Dumbledore that is really galling is that you can look at Voldemort and you can see his progression. You can look at Umbridge and you can see her 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 corruption and her ambition and her bigotry. And you can see its root, right? But with mm-hmm. Dumbledore, he had every reason to be a good person. And he had every opportunity to seek redemption. And he had every single opportunity to do the right thing. And he consistently did not. He had a great deal of political and social power most of his life after he defeated Grindelwald. And again, over and over and over and over again, he chose... He made terrible, disgusting decisions over and over again. Would Snape have been as bad as he was if he had come to Hogwarts and found a true sanctuary? Would Riddle have been as bad as he was if he had come to Hogwarts and had a had a safe place finally? And it all boils down to Dumbledore in the end. He made one terrible decision after another and he lived in an environment where Everybody let him. Mm-hmm. Snape was an abused child that was thrown into a magical circumstance where he was put into a situation where um, the only safety he had was in the darker members of his house. Much like Riddle. It's almost like 
said, I said it before, and I said it in Legacy, that Dumbledore either creates Dark Lords on purpose or out of apathy. Um, if you look at the past of Riddle, of Snape, and then Harry, it's like he was setting Snape up to be the next Dark Lord, and then Harry would be his predecessor. Because he was repeating the same experience over and over and over again. How much can you take from one person before they go over the edge? How much did he take from Grindelwald? How much did he take from Riddle? How much did he take from Snape? And how was he shaping Harry? Even when Harry died and was in the afterlife, which was kind of boring looking, Dumbledore was manipulating and shaping him again, sending him back. But what was he sending back? It seems like if you look at all of the, if you look at many of the bad guys, I think Dumbledore had the opportunity to have prevented the majority of the the Death Eaters. He could have been a yes. better influence on them. He could have been a better force for changing their ideals. He could have, like you said, been a safe haven for Voldemort. He could have prevented Voldemort. To, from the beginning, he could have tried to do something that, to help rather than just condemn. And he chose to do none of that with all of his power and influence. Absolutely none of it. It was over and over again he made one disgusting decision after another that eventually led a child down the path to suicide. And so, you know, it's kind of hard to look at the structure of the Harry Potter verse and not see the overwhelming influence Dumbledore had over Riddle, over Snape, over the Death Eaters, over Harry. So many opportunities and you know it was, to have done something different. And you know it you know it was bad when they didn't do anything about those stupid um, little Potter Stinks badges during fourth year. Mm-hmm. He let the whole school alienate Harry for something that wasn't his fault. I read a story once where um, Dumbledore blamed himself didn't Dumbledore didn't want to believe that it was his fault that Riddle turned into a Dark Lord that it um, um, because of his abusive situation, so he sent so he when he had an opportunity to disprove it, he used Harry as a um, an experiment to prove to himself that it wasn't his fault that it wasn't the abuse that Riddle suffered that turned him into a Dark Lord. Wow. It was a great story. I I can't find it again. I don't remember what it was called. But it was it was it was an interesting premise that that Harry was basically um an experiment to prove to himself that it wasn't his fault that that Riddle went over. Except yes, it was his fault. Now, just because he might not have been able to craft shaped Riddle into a good person, but he might not have been a homicidal maniac. 
he might have been sort of, you know, common criminal obnoxious or common criminal bad versus, you know, the worst Dark Lord the world's ever seen. I mean, there, there's, 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 a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a quite a spectrum of bad. <laughs> hmm. I just catching up on the chat room. Yeah, isn't that the main premise of your story, Jilly? Which that one? Because Riddle was conceived with a love potion that his magic was corrupted and he was incapable of love. Yes. But, you know, even if he, even if Dumbledore believed that to be true, um, that he wasn't capable of love, he still basically ensured that he was going to be as bad as he could possibly be. Because... Even people who don't really, um, even sociopaths, um, there are sociopaths who live perfectly functional lives. Um, you just who don't go off the deep end and kill a whole bunch of people. Right. You, you, I mean, you would not want to set them up into bad circumstances, right? And that's kind of what, I mean, if you go with the love potion idea that, that Riddle couldn't feel love, um, to say, well, he can't feel love, it's like it, basically Dumbledore, Dumbledore's position was, well, then he can't be helped. There's no point in trying. Never mind that it was the right thing to do to prevent that child from being abused, regardless of what sociopathic traits he was showing. So what happens if Harry Potter goes back to Fantastic Beast times and kills Dumbledore? It depends on when he kills Dumbledore, doesn't it? I mean, does he kill Dumbledore after the defeat of Grindelwald, or does he kill Dumbledore and take his place, defeat Grindelwald and become the master of the Elder Wand? Because that ripples. How long would the issue with Grindelwald go on if Dumbledore isn't there to end it? Yeah. Grindelwald well, and is killed it, it, by Voldemort. So, um, yeah, Voldemort checked on him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Presumably, even before Voldemort checked on Grindelwald, though, and checked on him um, and killed him, um, assume, presumably there was somebody tending that prison. It couldn't have been – what couldn't have been Dumbledore – he couldn't have gotten away that often. That doesn't sound like a very happy story, as. Um, almost without exception, uh, there are there is there's like the rare occasional story I've read that you know, on someone's recommendation that I implicitly trusted who told me it was good, I don't read stories where Harry winds up in Azkaban. I read a story that, that starts with Harry's in Azkaban for killing Molly because um, she, she she robbed him blind. Um, and everybody's like, yeah, dude, we get why you did it, but... <laughs> And it starts with Harry and Hermione in a visitor's room in Azkaban, and Hermione uses the 
magical reserves of Azkaban to find a time travel ritual. So they go back in time. Because I'm, I love time travel tropes, and I'll, I'll never stop. And so they destroyed Azkaban, leaving. And um, they're they're back in time, and Harry lands in his body as he's walking into courtroom number ten. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> and he fucks up everything. <laughs> now that sounds interesting. But I mean, that's yeah. the case of, like, again, where, I mean, that's, but in general, stories where he's imprisoned unjustly or he spends a lot of time in prison or, um, it's just, I just don't, I, I particularly hate false imprisonment stories. Um, I just don't dig it. Um, I don't but yeah, think, I think that 50 years in print, well, it's because he, in the end of the fic where he spends 50 years in Azkaban, they're, they're interviewing him about why he did it. And he's finally willing to admit what happened and he shares memories of the timeline that he came from. And um, Riddle never became a dark lord. And Riddle ended up married to uh, Myrtle. Because Myrtle wasn't killed at Hogwarts. And Riddle is like the minister for magic. Hmm. And I she mean, thanks him. She thanks, she, uh, she thanks Harry for saving her husband. Hmm. I find the ripple interesting of that change fascinating, but I still wouldn't want to read Harry being in prison for 50 years. It's it's very interesting, um, but I wouldn't read it again because it was very depressing. <laughs> but really and honestly, he wasn't in um, jail unjustly. He did commit several murders, <laughs> even if they were justified in his mind. <laughs> so, yeah, you know. but that. It, but still, I mean, even even uh, if I'm going to read Harry like doing bad things, I'd rather just like you know he's like going full on with the Dark Lord business, um, and <laughs> and and he wins, right? It's just yeah. I do find it very. I I, I did find Darkly Lowell very satisfying to write, um, just to let go, you know, and. Just it was it was very satisfying. I'm not sure I'd write another one, but I I enjoyed it. I especially like the body count part. <laughs> the body count was very fun. I have been very off Harry I have been very off Harry Potter lately. Um mm-hmm. like very off. Like um an author I really enjoy actually jumped ship recently to Harry Potter. I got a, I got a, like a, a, a notification um, that, and they'd written their first Harry Potter work. And I was like, Nope. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> nope. <laughs> nope. Um, and I don't even know why, because actually it's, most fandoms I enjoy, I don't go off of them completely. Like I'll still read, you know, if there's an update on a story I really like, I'll sit down and read it. Um, 
I'm guessing I probably read something in HP that really horrified me at some point, and I've blocked it out, and it just soured me for a while. It'll come back to you. I, I, I the, the fandom will. I'm hoping that whatever it is that I read doesn't. Right. Come back. Yeah. Let, <laughs> let's hope that stays away. That, yeah. That needs to stay gone. Because I, I more Harry Potter more so than any other fandom I've ever read in. I stumble into really unfortunate things. <laughs> it's like, what the fuck is this? And why wasn't that tagged? <laughs> why? Why? Not that I want you, you Harry tag Potter that? people, tagging, tagging the way Teen Wolf tags, but at least they disclose everything. <laughs> <laughs> There's no surprises. I don't like surprises. Literally. I mean, they even, like, really contradict themselves in their crazy-ass tagging. It's weird. I've been reading a lot more of MCU lately, and it's it's strange because I um, I keep like trying to find different ways to search for stories and I keep getting the same list of things I've read and there's a ton of MCU works so it's like how can I be out of things to read <laughs> yet it feels like I'm out of things to read and I'm like, I want to read something new and I want to read something long and I just keep winding up with the same shit <laughs> and I don't want to read that again also I would say MCU is the current reigning king of fandoms for me with really interesting sounding works in progress. I, I have more works in progress I'm reading in MCU than any other fandom. I'm like, that just sounds so interesting. I've got to read it. And then I deeply regret my life choices because, you know, next thing you know, this thing I started reading in, that was 50 chapters is now 90 chapters and no, no end in sight. And the update comes so infrequently that I feel like I have to reread the whole story every time there's a new update. So I eventually just stop reading it, and yet it keeps hitting my search list, and I just go, I'm not reading that until it's done. 95 chapters, 101 chapters, 110 chapters. I'm like, fuck this. <laughs> Learn to end a story. <laughs> <laughs> you can write a book series. <laughs> I'm not talking about like chapters of like a thousand words because that's a, that can be its own problem. But we're talking five, six, ten, even sometimes even ten thousand word chapters. This is, you know, this is a five hundred k story. It's like no, 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 end it. Let it end. Give me some fucking resolution. It's not too much to ask. I can't think of a time when I have started reading a work in progress where I haven't regretted it. Every time I do it, I regret it. Every single time. I'm really having a hard time putting those two fandoms together. Huh. X-Men and Supernatural. Oh, well, that's a good writer. So, I'm still not reading it. No, not 50 years in prison. No. The one where he's 50 years in prison is called Unsealed by Esima. 
E-S-A-M-A, and it is on AO3 for those of you listening on the podcast who want to read it. It's not very long. It's a short fic, um, and it's mostly about the after. It's, it's about the aftermath, so you don't see him, like, suffering 50 years in prison. It's just her, Myrtle, interviewing him um, as to why he did what he did. Mm-hmm. It's a very interesting character study. I um, I enjoy it for its um, for its structure. I don't know how Willow finds all these stories. We, we don't call her the Fick Ninja for nothing, but because it, it, she it is, is sort of like dark magic, ninja. but it is like some kind of dark magic. That's Jason's just an aside. I have. I was talking to a friend the other day. She asked me what I was what I was working on, and I told her about the story I was writing. Um, and um, she says, "Well," and she knows that I'm supposed to be finishing up my QB. And she says, "How is that a fix it?" I said, "Oh, it's not. <laughs> it's not a fix it at all." <laughs> and she said, "Is it for so? But so it's not for the quantum bank." I said, "No." <laughs> No, it's not a fix it. It can't be it can't be for the quantum bag. It's a complete AU. And she said, It sounds kinda cracky. I said, I know. <laughs> I said, it does sound like it's cracky. It sounds very cracky to me too. And she said, Are you okay? <laughs> I, said, been, I said, I was sick for a month. I am not okay. I don't know what I don't know what happens in my creative processes after that happens. Apparently they got scrambled. But speaking of the quantum bang, we are coming up on the deadline to um in to sign up as an artist. It's February twenty eighth, just FYI. Yeah, you got four weeks left, people. This um no, I I am making good progress in my QB, but I got distracted by an idea. Um, a friend of mine had asked me like once to she like like her her dream pairing. It's not a pairing I'm interested in. And I said, well, if I could, I told her once, if I ever can think of an idea that sounds interesting that has that pairing, I I'll I'll write it for you. And I was working in my QB, and. I got the idea that worked for her pairing. And it was like my brain had been struck by lightning and I had to start working on it. Um, but it is very cracky. At least it seems cracky to me. But it was just so funny, her reaction when I told her what the story was, what I was working on. And her reaction was, it sounds cracky. And I said, yes, yeah. are you okay? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not okay. You'll settle down. I can do short crack, doing crack on purpose with something short is fine. But once it gets to be about more than five or 10,000 words, I, I have, I, it, it, it's going to start coming out um, curious, which is a weird kind of disconnect when you have an idea that on, it, on, on, it, on the face of it is cracky, um, but it has like a serious uh, uh, um, impl- um, execution, implementation of it is very serious. It, 
it's just it's strange to me, but sometimes that's just the way it goes. We're coming up on signups for April as well, so you guys keep that in mind, March first. Sequel. So if you oh, haven't right. got so your, it's a sequel. If you challenge. haven't got your first, so story. make sure you have up before March. Um, before you sign up for April, you must have a link for your first work. Yeah. So get your if right. your story's yes. not finished, get it finished. Even if you just post your rough draft, you don't have to get it. You know. Even if you just post your ref draft on your own website, you don't have to get it like pristine. So don't stress yourself out. I know there's quite and it doesn't a few have people, to be heard, any certain length either. No, because I've heard from quite a few people that they are trying to get a story finished, um, the, the story they want to write a sequel to. They're trying to finish it up and get it posted. Um, all that is required is that you be able to give a link to it. It doesn't have to be perfected. So don't stress yourself out. We're supposed to be having fun, so don't stress out. It's all supposed to be fun. I will say that having the posting deadline on November um, and not having to worry, and I was finished, but even just the idea that I would not have be any kind of obligation to public, to post after December 5th was very relaxing. It felt yeah, very and contained, it, and I liked it. Yeah, I really liked it. It felt like rough trade was over. Like it's over. Not just for me, for everybody, it's over. I mean, that's not to say, of course, that you know that it wouldn't have been that there weren't stories that I would have loved to see people continue working on them. That's not the point at all. Um, Certainly from a reader perspective, there are stories I would have really loved to see um, continued. But that's not even the point, right? Because it is, it is a writer-focused challenge, and all, well, all challenges should be. But it is a writer-focused environment. And it, it was really just really refreshing that it was just done. It lowered my stress level immensely. Um, and so, yeah. I'm I'm really pleased with that. So that probably will be our our MO going forward. Yeah, and I think it also is nice that because we hadn't even we talked about after that I hadn't even realized how much it felt like one challenge bled into another. Um and that wasn't the case anymore. It felt like the challenge was over. But there was a question um up above about um It's about using pause words and stuff in dialogue. I don't remember who asked that. Um, could you? I was wondering whoever wrote that. Could you post that in the writers' table? Because with that kind of, it's a little hard to address that kind of thing um, in a spoken there format. There actually is a question on that in the writers' table. Oh, there is. Okay, so mm-hmm. that's just what I'll, I'll to find a link. Example of of an, it gives like written examples as opposed to like explain because. In realistic dialogue, if you hear recording, people use a lot more, um, like I just did, they use more pause words than you would ever want to use in written dialogue. It would look ridiculous. So, but there are ways to do it. To do it. So, 
um, address that. It's easier to just easier to do with concrete examples than to try to explain it. So I didn't want whoever asked that question to think I had just you know ignored it in the chat because I saw it, but I thought at the time we were talking about something else, and I thought I should mention that that will be easier to answer. Um, yeah, there was I um. I, I'm, since I'm doing unit one in the building, I had asked if there were any other units that people might like to see in the future. And one of them was on dialogue and her question was in that, in that structure. I put a link up there. So, but I do think we probably do need a unit, a whole unit on dialogue construction. So in the future, and for those of you who aren't familiar with it, the unit is um, uh, in Facebook. They, they let you build kind of like online classes that your members can take um, and read and, you know, to just it's like an online class thing and all the links are, are in a section together so that they're easy to find and we're currently I'm currently putting one together on plot so I'm working on one with different kinds of commas because apparently I have a bigger masochistic streak than I thought I did actually I don't have much of a masochistic <laughs> streak at all but I've had several <laughs> questions about commas and um Somebody asked me a big kahuna question that it's going to take a very long unit to explain. But I thought, well, we'll just take them one at a time. And but I think that after I finish my plot one, that I'm going to do one on. Um, um, I'm going to do a bigger one on um, uh, ripples and plot ramifications and um, character choices. Uh, so that will be after the plot. The, the plot one-on-one is just a basic structure for your plot, so it might not be as in-depth on various topics as you would like, but we'll, be, we'll do other stuff in the future for that. So we're down to about a minute and 35 seconds over here. <clears throat> do you have anything for Quantum Bang as far as announcements go? Uh, today was, was today the first. Today was the first. I forgot to put up the writers check in. Um, I set we set our microwave on fire this week, and the whole Howl house has been a disaster since. So, I've been a little discombobulated the last half of this week. Um, but I will get the the writers check in up tomorrow. So, um, look for that there tomorrow on the site. Okay. That's it. That's all I've got. Oh, All right. Well, say goodbye. I am behind. What? I am behind on signups, and I will get them caught up this weekend. Good night, everyone. All righty, then we're down to <laughs> we're down forty seconds. You guys have a good <laughs> Friday night, and we'll catch you later. Let me find that stupid song. Mm-hmm.